Bibles with me tonight. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. When I first uh, titled this message, I entitled it, We Are Not Alone. And when Pastor saw that, he came in and asked me if I was going to be preaching on UFOs. And so I decided to change the title just slightly to You Are Not Alone instead of We Are Not Alone. And um, so hopefully you don't get the wrong impression. I'm not going to preach about UFOs tonight. Unfortunately, uh, um, that'll have to wait for a different message. But tonight we're going to preach from 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's all stand together, please, as I read, beginning at verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said... It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept in the juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baken on the coals, and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for uh, what we were able to see tonight, these young people who love you and have spent the time to, to uh, practice and prepare and stand up here tonight and praise your name in song. Thank you for those parents that have enough wisdom to involve their children in such programs. Thank you for uh, those adults who have worked with these children and instilled in them a love for serving you. And now as we've come together tonight, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would quiet our hearts and would Use the words that will be spoken tonight to be an encouragement to us, to edify and build us up, to strengthen us as your children and as believers, so that we might go forth and preach the gospel of Christ, that we might go forth into the harvest field as laborers of the Lord, seeking the harvest that you've prepared. Thank you for all these things. We do ask that you would bless us tonight and be with us now in this time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Elijah has just 
he's fresh off his, his challenge on the mountain with the prophets of Baal. We know the story. How Elijah challenged uh, the 400 prophets of Baal in, on Mount Carmel and how uh, all of them had been slain by the sword. And Jezebel is not very happy about this. She's very upset that Elijah had led a rebellion of the people against uh, her false prophets. So she has promised to slay Elijah. She has promised that her soldiers will hunt him down and and, and kill him within a 24-hour period. So Elijah, in fear, flees for his life and flees unto the wilderness. Elijah mistakenly thinks he's all alone. Have you ever felt totally alone? I don't mean that there are no other people around you. I just mean that because of some circumstance in your life or some situation, you feel all alone. You feel like no one cares about you. No one is there to help you. You and I were not created to be alone. In fact, God even stated in Scripture that this is not a good thing. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, we read, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. When we are alone, we experience different types of emotions. When we are alone, we, we experience the emotion of fear. When we are alone, we, ex- we experience regret, depression, and discouragement. And the same is true concerning our spiritual lives this evening. Solomon, in his wisdom, knew this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Solomon writes, Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. For he hath not another to help him up. This is the importance of the brotherhood we have in Christ. When one of us falls, another of us is there to help, to to encourage, to lift up, to, 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 to... Share in the burdens. And this is important. The Lord Jesus Christ himself sent out his disciples two by two. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 7 we read, And he called unto him the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. So even the Lord himself knew that it was best for man not to be alone as he labors, not to be alone as he faces problems, not to be alone as he deals with circumstances in his life. Because fear and regret and depression and discouragement will overtake that soul and will conquer and defeat him. Yet over the years, there have been times when each of us have felt alone with no one there to lend us support or to help us in our labors. But even then, we must remember that we are never truly alone. And tonight, I want to talk about that fact, that you are not alone. And I want to remind you tonight of who is on our side and who is on your side tonight. 
First of all, tonight, I want us to remember that we have on our side the Lord, King of glory. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Paul writes, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? This is such a comforting truth to know that God is on our side. You know, maybe when you were a younger boy or or a younger girl and someone, some bully was picking on you. And all of a sudden along came your big brother or your, your big sister or, or maybe your dad. All of a sudden you felt good, didn't you? Huh? Yeah, come on, bully. Yeah, come, come mess with me now. My brother's here. Yeah. It's, it always feels good when you're being picked on, when you're despondent, when you're down. It feels good to, to know that somebody is on your side, especially somebody who's big and strong. Well, no one's bigger and no one's stronger than the Lord, the King of glory. and He's on our side. It is he that battles for us. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, I, I bring your attention to the story of David. And in the 45th through the 47th verse, we read, Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and will take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Did you see what David said? He said, the battle is the Lord's. It is so important for us to remember tonight that we are the children of God. And as his children, we live and we labor in accordance to his will and his purpose. Therefore, the enemies and the battles that you and I face are the Lord's battles. In John chapter 15 and Verse 18, Jesus reminds us, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. The world hates us because we are God's children. But we can rest tonight in the truth that God is with us in every battle we face. Samuel writes in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 18, He delivered me from my strong enemy, And from them that hated me, for they were too strong for me. Oh yes, the Lord does not allow his children to be downtrodden by the world. In those times when the world is too strong for us, God is there. God is there to battle for us. God is there to give us strength. God is there to help us. And we have the confidence to know that he is always with us and will never 
forsake us. For in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, we read, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. He is with us at the darkest moments in our life, doing battle for us. He was with Moses in the wilderness. In Acts chapter 7, we read, Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Forty years Moses was in the wilderness. But God never forsook him. God never left him. He was with him all the time. He was with Samson. He was with Samson at his vengeance upon the Philistines. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 28, we read, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. You know what I love about Samson, the story of Samson? After he had been... His eyes had been put out and his hair had been cut off. The Bible says his hair began to grow. (laughs) Isn't that good? God didn't leave him. And God didn't forsake him. And at that one moment, God strengthened Samson. And Samson, the Bible says, slew more Philistines at his death than he did in his life. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter 3, we read, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Oh, even the fires couldn't hurt them. Why? Because the Lord was on their side, and he did their battle for them. And he is with you and I today. And he wants you to know today that he will always be with you and will strengthen you and protect you. He wants you to have the confidence that you need to commit your life to him and live for him. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, John writes, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him. At his coming. Oh, tonight our nation needs men and women that will turn back to God. But the question is who will be that man? Who will be that woman? The America that my grandfathers and my father loved is dying and fading as the days go by. We have forsaken the Lord and his principles in our nation. It is time to turn back to the Lord. I remind you 
of God's words in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 where he states, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Will you answer the call of the Lord today? Will you be that one who will, who will stand and say, I will live for God? You are not alone today. The Lord, the King of glory, is on your side. But there's another group that we can have confidence in tonight. We can take comfort in knowing that they're on our side. And the second group is the angels, the servants of God. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17, we read a a passage of Scripture where Elijah is is talking to his servant, and the servant of Elisha, I'm sorry, not Elijah, but Elisha, and the servant of Elisha is, is, is afraid because the armies of the Syrians are coming against him. And Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 17, we read, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. This young servant was fearful for the situation. And Elisha said, Lord, show him, open his eyes. And when, he opened, when the Lord opened his eyes, he saw armies of angels waiting to protect Elisha and himself. Oh yes, tonight. We have the angels, the servants of God, on our side. The Bible is laced with incidents of angels interceding in the affairs of men. And it is very feasible tonight that angels will interact with us at times in our lives. For in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, the writer states, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. As we have already stated, you and I are engaged in a spiritual battle. It is a battle over obedience. Over obedience to the flesh or over obedience to God. And this battle is one that is waged on a divine scale. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul reminds us, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, you need to remember tonight that when you set out to do anything good for God, you will immediately encounter two forces. You will encounter the forces of good and evil. And this is why it is so difficult to do good. Our flesh does not desire to do good. Therefore, it in, engages in battle with our spirit. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not. That I do. Oh yes, you and I must understand tonight that we face a spiritual battle every day of our lives. You face this battle. You know what I'm talking about. Every day of your life, you're tempted. Every day of your life, uh, 
the world presents you with opportunities that, that are not right, but that may be a help to you. And you have to stand and you have to decide which course of action you will take. And you have to choose between doing good or doing, or doing evil. And we face this spiritual battle. It's a divine battle. And God himself employs his angels to help us in these battles. We must do, do right. We must not make the mistake thinking that we are all alone in our battle and have no recourse. Though no man is at my side, I have the confidence to know that the servants of God are here to help me when I need them. (laughs) In Daniel chapter 6, verses 21 and 22, we read, Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, (coughs) O king, have I done no hurt. Oh yes, the angel. God sent his angel (coughs) to help Daniel. Daniel hit the bottom of that pit, and those lions all looked over there, and an angel stood between Daniel and those lions and said, Sit down. The dinner bell isn't, isn't yet. Be patient. Before too long, you're going to have a whole bunch of fresh meat coming down for you. Some of you are looking at me like I'm from another planet. Do you doubt your God tonight? Do you doubt that God, from the millions of angels in heaven, won't dispatch them to our side to help us? Do you lack such knowledge? Do you so, do you so foolishly limit your God? Oh, yes, tonight, you can count on the angels for help. And I'm going to tell you, I know there's a lot of angels employed around pastor's car. There's no <laughs> doubt about that <coughs> whatsoever. <coughs> He's got his own fleet of chariots around him. The angels, the servants of God, are present to help us if need be. Be it in battle or even just to minister to us. Just to, just to come to you and, and lift you up when you're down. They did that for, for Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you're still there, look at verses 5 through 7. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold then, an angel touched him. Did you see that? An angel, not a man, an angel, touched him and said, Arise and eat. And then again in verse 7, Uh, It says, and the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. That's right. The angels were there to minister to Elijah, to to encourage him, to strengthen him. You know, there have been times in my Christian life when complete strangers have come up to me and been an encouragement to me and a help. I don't know who they were. They may have been angels. They may not have been angels. I don't know. But I know this. God sent them. God sent them to help us. God sent them to touch our hearts and to strengthen us when we doubt, to lift us when we're, when we're despondent. Are you down tonight? Are you feeling alone tonight? Well, don't forget, God, the Lord God, the King of glory is, is, is on your side. You're not alone. And the angels, the servants of God, are on your side. You're not alone. But then we have a third group, and that third group is the saints, our brethren through Christ. 
In 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 18, look at it with me please, verse 18. In 1 Kings chapter 19, we read here, Elijah, let me, let me preface this, Elijah is, is you, you remember we read a moment ago, Elijah said, and I, even only I am left alone, Lord. I'm the only one left who loves you, I'm the only one left who's serving you. But in verse 18, God tells Elijah, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. 7,000. God told Elijah, no, Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 who are ready to stand with you. And can I remind you tonight, you're not alone. Sometimes we forget that there are others who love the Lord also. We develop this overrated self-worth opinion of ourselves. At times we may even believe that we're the only ones trying to do right. Elijah was feeling so sorry for himself because he believed that he alone stood for God. Yet God tells him in this verse that there are still 7,000 in Israel that will stand alongside Elijah in the battle. Still 7,000 men who had not bowed down nor kissed the idols of Baal. When I coach a team of athletes, I always stress the importance of teamwork. And trusting your teammates to do their job, to be where they need to be, and and to do what they need to do. You need to trust each other, I tell them. You can't try to take everything into your own hand. You have to depend on your teammates. You have to trust that your teammate will be there to do what he needs to do. If you don't trust your teammate, you will be out of your own position and will cause your team to suffer because of it. And you and I, must remember the same is true in our spiritual lives. We must learn to love one another. We must learn to pray for one another. We must learn to have confidence in one another. We must learn to trust one another. And not go through life with a a dark cloud over our head and say, oh, I can't depend on anyone. Now, there have been times when I've said to myself, if I want it done, I just got to go do it myself. There have been those times And I'm sure you felt the same way. But we must remember that we have each other. We are brethren in Christ. And we must treat each other as brethren in Christ. Listen, you and I have no idea what God is doing. If we start trying to analyze God's plans, and if we start trying to outthink God, all we will do is create a bigger problem. We don't know what God is doing. And it is not for you and I, by the way. It's not for us to know what God is doing. I I wondered after the election, why in the world did God allow a man like Obama to get in office? Well, obviously he has a purpose. There's a reason for what's happening in our nation today. I don't know what it is, but God knows what it is. He's in control. We just need to trust him. We need to keep our fingers out of the pie. Too many chefs will spoil the pie. Let God do what God will do. You do what he's called you to do. And let's learn to depend on and trust each other. I don't know what God is doing tonight, but I do know this. I do know that there are still thousands of Christians today who have not compromised their doctrine. They might be far, few and far between, but I know they're there. 
And there are still thousands of Christians today who have not given up and quit on God. And if need be, God will send them to my side to help me. I have brothers and sisters in Christ in Louisiana. If I picked up the phone and called them and told them I need their help, they'd come help me. And I'm sure you could say the same thing for people that you know, Christians that you know around this country. When we need help, we can depend on our brothers and sisters in Christ. I am not alone, but sometimes fear will cause me to think that I am. See, this is what happened to Elijah. In the first four verses of 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, we read them a moment ago. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, uh, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. Elijah got scared. Can you imagine? After, after standing on Mount Carmel and seeing the fire from heaven come down and consume all the offering on the altar, and and after seeing the people of God rally and and slay all these false prophets, Elijah still was afraid? Well, you and I are no better. Because after we've seen the miracles that God has done in our lives, we still are afraid. And Elijah was afraid. And sometimes we become afraid too. And when we do become afraid... This is when we fail to do the things that we know that we ought to do. We want to do right, but we're just too afraid. Now, with the last few moments tonight, I want to share some things that will, the things that I I have discovered and, and, and seen over the years that Christians fear. First, number one, letter A, we are afraid of abandonment or being forsaken. We're afraid of abandonment. And, but, but we must remember that in John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then in verse 14, he says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever. I command you. you. Imagine if you get an invitation to a party and it says, Bring your best friend and you bring Jesus. That's pretty cool, huh? I bet nobody will have a better friend than you. Because that friend will lay down his life for you. Jesus. We don't need to be afraid of abandonment. We don't need to be afraid to lose all our friends. We don't need to be afraid of being forsaken. Listen, we must choose what is more important. And what is more important tonight? The acceptance of Jesus or the acceptance of men? We have to choose. If you take a stand for God in your home, if you take a stand for God at your job, or if you take a stand in school, young people, others will follow you. I've told teenagers this for the last 29 years. You don't just stand. Don't be afraid to stand. Take a stand, and others will follow you. But someone needs to take the first step. Who will it be? Who in this group tonight will stand and say, I will live 
for God in this, in this day. Listen, we need to be like Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, we read, Also I heard the voice, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Isaiah stood up and said, Lord, send me. And how many of us tonight are prepared to take a stand and stand up for the Lord and say, Lord, send me. Lord, use me. Use me at my job, Lord, to be a witness. Use me in my home to lead my family into into a, a, a committed life for Christ. Lead me, Lord. Use me in my school to take a stand and, 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 and perhaps be forsaken, but to take a stand for you. Who will go for us? Who will stand for God in this day? Will it be you? Well, it will cost you. There is a cost involved. We talked about that earlier today. I won't belabor it again. But who will go? Who will it be? But not only are, or do we fear abandonment, but secondly, we're afraid of being mocked. We're afraid of being mocked. In Job chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, we read, But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Yea, who knoweth not such things as these? I am as one mocked of his neighbor, who calleth upon God, and he answereth him. The just upright man is laughed to scorn. Now, I am confident that no one here tonight is ashamed of God. However, at times we find ourselves too timid to speak out for God. And I'm sure each one of us tonight, if we would be perfectly honest with God, would have to admit there have been times when we found ourselves in situations where we knew that we should speak up, where we knew that we should do something, but we just didn't do it. We just held our peace. Sometimes we're afraid to be different. Yet God has admonished us to be different. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, the Bible states, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And to be different will mean that we will be changed. We are to be transformed in our hearts and minds. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this is the problem with many Christians today. Instead of being transformed in their mind, they're conforming to the world. Especially our young people today. They're conforming to the world, to its language. Uh, You know, what's happened to the English language is a crime. It really is. Text messaging and instant messaging is ruining the English language. I, I don't know. I, I, get, I get instant messages and texts, LOL, all these kind of little, little things. What do they mean? What's going on here? What are you trying to tell me? I'll type back, what? And put about nine question marks there. <clears throat> We're conforming to the language of the world. We're also conforming to its entertainment. Christian people today think nothing of going to sit down and watching an R-rated movie. And you know what I hear? Oh, well, there's only one or two curse words in it. Oh, only one or two? 
Oh, well then, okay, let's bring the kids. Let's go, pack a lunch. We're just, we, we've just conformed to the world's entertainment today. And you know what? I'm not trying to beat standards here tonight. I'm talking about, I'm talking about things my great-grandparents and my grandparents would have never done. By the way, when I was young, when I was like the, the Petro Boys age here, there were only two ratings for movies, A's and, A and B. A and B, that was it. I don't know if, how many of you are old enough to remember that? A movies and B movies, that's all they had. And boy, I tell you what, don't even talk about, to my dad about going to a B movie because it wasn't happening. You know, my father wouldn't even allow us to watch Red Skelton on TV because his comedy skits were too suggestive. This is what the generations in America, and this, by the way, this wasn't Christian people. This is, this is how the generations in our nation used to think. But we've conformed today. We've conformed to the world's entertainers. We have no, we have no feeling of remorse or guilt whatsoever about paying money to go sit down and watch an R-rated movie. World's entertainment. It's ethics. People don't think anything anymore of lying on their income tax report. Well, let's see. If, if I take this deduction, I can get more money back. Yeah, but that's called stealing. Now, I realize the government's stealing from us. I know that, okay? But two wrongs don't make a right, does it? You see, God needs people. Jesus said, you're my friends if you obey me. God needs people who will not say, I'm going to just clean up the world's uh, philosophies a little bit and call them my own. God needs people that will step way back over right next to him. And, and, and God, listen, we need to just remember what our grandparents believed. That's what we need. And Christians today have, have conformed to the world so much that they have actually become enemies of God and enemies of his righteousness without even understanding that they have. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, James writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And friends, tonight that's not my word, that's God's. Have you become so friendly with the world? Have you become so entranced with the world? Have you conformed your life to the world tonight to the point that you are in the camp of the enemy of God? You say, Mr. Abshar, but if, Brother Abshar, if I, if I do what you're saying, I'd be mocked. Yeah, I know, you would be. People would whisper, oh, look, that's that Jesus freak over there. Well, call me a Jesus freak. If having ethics and morals means being a Jesus freak, then call me. By all means. What have we done? What have we done? We've we've fallen asleep. And while we were asleep, the world came in and sowed all its seeds. There's a story in the Bible where the servant said, Lord, uh, while you slept, your enemies came and they sowed so uh, bad seed in your in your in your fields. Uh, what do we do? What do we do? Should we go and should we pluck out all these bad? Jesus said, "No, no, leave them alone, because while you're going to do harm to the good, don't worry. The day of harvest is coming, and when we harvest, we'll separate the the, the chaff from the wheat." Listen, folks. 
We've become afraid of abandonment. We've become afraid of being mocked. So we've compromised our standards as Christians. We've compromised our ethics and morals. But then there's one other thing, and that is we've become afraid of failing. Afraid of failing. Matthew chapter 25, we read, Then he which hath received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew uh, thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. And, and we see in this parable that Jesus told of the one servant who was afraid of failing, and instead of, instead of going forth and doing the business of his master, he simply sat down and did nothing. And we have so many Christians today who are afraid of failing that they're doing nothing. There's an old saying, aim at nothing and you'll hit it. Some are afraid to stand for Christ because they're afraid they won't be able to stick it out. And you know what? You're right. You won't be able to stick it out. But in the power of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And that doesn't mean that I can do things that I don't know how to do. That means I can do whatever God has ordained me to do. I can do whatever God has called me to do. In the strength of Christ, I can do all things. By myself, I most certainly will fail. But with Christ on my side, I cannot fail. I will succeed, and so will you. You are not alone. You have the Lord God, the King of glory, on your side. You have all the power of heaven and the angels of God on your side. And we have each other. The brethren, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And let us learn to love one another and care for one another and lift one another. And together we can be as Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12. Solomon writes, and if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Let me tell you something. When you and I as a body of believers in Christ, when we knit together when we love one another, when we bond together as we should as God's children, the world can, can beat on us and beat on us and beat on us. You ever take a, a strand of thread? It's easy to break, isn't it? But go find a three and two inch rope. Try to break that. It's not so easy, is it? Inside of a Two-inch rope are thousands and thousands and thousands of strands of rope that have been woven together. And the strength of that rope is multiplied exponentially. And let me tell you something. When you and I, as 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 a church, when we quit our bickering, when we quit our fighting, when we quit our backbiting, when we quit slashing each other, and when we quit trying to hurt each other, and we start working together, and we knit together the way God wants us to be, we're going to be like that rope that's been woven together with thousands of strands of rope, and the world will not be able to break it. We're not alone. We're not alone. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would use the words that were spoken tonight as as inadequate as they were, and I pray that you would touch our hearts. I pray that you would help us to understand tonight 
that we are not alone. We have you, the God of glory, and we need, we need no one but you. But we have you on our side. You, you said you'll never leave us nor forsake us. You fight our battles for us. We have the angels, the servants of God at our side. You dispatch them in this divine battle that we faced against, against the, the spirit of the Antichrist. And we have each other. You've designed that we as brothers and sisters in Christ should love one another and should work together for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So we ask tonight that you would give us the wisdom to listen to what we've heard, that you would give us the confidence to know that we're not alone, that you would strengthen us and that we would go forth as a mighty army in this area, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, walking in righteousness and in truth. Thank you for this time together. I pray you'd bless all that are here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.